Chopper 46th floor over the home of Russell and Shirley Derman. This is where Putnam County Sheriff's investigators and the FBI are focusing their attention. This is where 88-year-old Russell Derman's body was discovered and his wife Shirley was last seen. Sheriff Howard Seals would not say how Russell Derman was killed, but one thing is certain. Clearly that it's a homicide. I'm CBS 46 anchor Karen Greer, and you're listening to CSI Atlanta, the podcast. Each episode, I'll take you on a deep dive into some of Georgia's most fascinating cold cases. I'm working alongside CBS 46 crime scene investigator Cheryl Mack McCollum and her team at the Cold Case Investigative Research Institute. Putnam County, right there on beautiful Lake Oconee, gated community. I mean, everybody knows the community down there. I mean, you've got these million-dollar homes, gorgeous lake. I mean, the Ritz-Carlton even has a place there that if you've ever seen that is extraordinary. Breathtaking. It is. And this is like a retirement community, it yes, seems like. You go there to enjoy. Yep. It was a beautiful place for 88-year-old Russell Derman and his wife, 87-year-old Shirley, to retire. Their love story spanned most of their lives. They were high school sweethearts, born and raised in New Jersey, before packing up and moving south to Atlanta to raise their family. Together, they owned several Hardee's fast food restaurants. Fast forward through 67 years of marriage, four children, four grandchildren, and a successful business. Russell and Shirley had more than earned their million-dollar home on the banks of Lake Oconee. In retirement, they enjoyed the peace and quiet of their gated community. It allowed them to live privately and without much disturbance. There were only two ways to access the community, either by passing a guard at the front gate or by boat across the waters of the lake which butted right up to their backyard. Russell and Shirley liked socializing with their neighbors, having the time to read a good book, or watching the sunset over the water. They were regular churchgoers. They were polite and well-liked. Russell and Shirley were noticeably missing from a Kentucky Derby party hosted by their neighbors on May 3rd of 2014. They're very social. And they didn't come, so, you know, they called the next day. Nobody answered the phone. They called again, and they said, you know what, we just need to go up there and check on them. Front door was unlocked. So they go in. They look in every room. They cannot find anybody. It was the morning of May 6, 2014. An unfinished crossword puzzle sat in the kitchen. The bed was unmade in the master bedroom but nothing else seemed out of place. And then the husband goes into the garage and finds Mr. Derman. There in the garage was the body of Russell Derman, propped up between two vehicles in the garage. The most gruesome part of the discovery was that whoever murdered Russell had decapitated him, his head nowhere to be found. Crime scene investigators later found gunshot residue on the collar of his shirt leading experts to believe Russell was shot to death 
before he was beheaded. Shirley's nowhere to be found, gone. So they're afraid whoever murdered him has kidnapped her. Frantic 911 call goes out. The sheriff responds. I mean, everybody in that sheriff's department responds. And it's just, it's unimaginable to them because of the community that they're in. So they immediately call in everybody. You know, they get help from the GBI, they get help from FBI, they get help from everybody. Put up billboards about her. I mean, they did not hesitate in their effort to look for her, thinking that any minute she could be ransomed or, you know, show up on the side of the road hurt. They just didn't know where she was. The Putnam County Sheriff's Department telling the public they were treating Shirley's disappearance as an abduction. Her purse and keys were still in the house. Her car still parked in the garage where her husband's body had been found. But with no clear motive, a scene that was pristine. They couldn't be sure what happened to Shirley. Here's the thing. The neighbor closest to them, who was good friends with them, was out of the country. The other neighbor saw a person but didn't know who it was with all the trees. I mean, she could have thought it was Russell. Even though at 80 years old, he didn't walk down there that much. But, you know, they've got grown children. It could be somebody. She didn't think anything about it. Right across the street is a wooded lot. There's nobody else. It was secluded. It was private. It was in a cul-de-sac. And then when you go by boat, it's just them. The Georgia Department of Natural Resources sent crews to Lake Oconee. They used sonar equipment to search the muddy water, cadaver dogs, and search parties combing the wooded areas that bordered the lake. Each day, without answers, was another day a killer was on the loose. And then, on May 16th, the case of a murdered husband and missing wife turned into a double homicide and further complicated an already baffling case for Putnam County Sheriff Howard Sills. We now unfortunately know that Shirley Durman was murdered and we're no longer unfortunately seeking to rescue her. I can tell you the mindset of the individual who did this was a homicidal individual that, that doesn't deserve to breathe the air on this earth. Shirley's body was found by two fishermen at the deepest point of the lake, about six miles from her home. We came down and got in the boat and left out. And on the way to go fishing, we, I noticed something that looked strange. We got close enough that we were, I would say, 95% sure that it was, it was a body or something. You know, when you see something like that, I've, I've never seen something like this before. I've never, I can't, I couldn't fathom someone taking someone's life like that. Shirley was found fully clothed and tied up with a cord. She had a backpack full of cinder blocks strapped to her back. An autopsy later concluded she'd been beaten to death before her body was dumped.
Now, to me, one key element to this whole thing is why was she treated so differently than him? Mm -hmm. And I want to be real clear. A beheading is horrific. It is sadistic to me, right? I mean, that is the devil. But a beating? Right. But cutting somebody's head off ain't no big thing. You can do it with a small knife, literally. So it's not the crime people think it is. And he was probably already dead because we said there was gunshot residue. So oh, I can prove to you he's already dead because there was no blood in his trach or in his lungs. So the beheading, that's post-mortem. So if you've got the right knife, it, it doesn't take a lot to behead somebody. Think of all the hunters out there that can cut a deer head off with a small knife. It just doesn't take what people think that it must. Shirley, however, they took a lot of time with her. They risked being seen with her. They had to get her from that garage all the way down that embankment, down onto the dock, into a boat, at least a half-hour trip with a small motor, right? And then to tie her up, beat her, put the cinder blocks in the backpack, put the backpack on her, and then put her right where they wanted her in that cove. Now, that to me also says that person knows that lake. Nobody saw anything. Nobody saw anything except one neighbor. One neighbor saw a man standing in the yard, but couldn't even tell his race, couldn't tell anything about him because of the foliage. It was May. I mean, it was beautiful. So they don't know. Why would you behead, Cheryl, unless you're trying to hide part of what happened? Well, if they're trying to hide the fact they shot somebody, they certainly made it worse because beheading is going to strike people with such a different chord. That, to me, is much more just devil. I mean, that's just evil. Would they be trying to hide, though, the bullets that may have gone in so you can't identify the weapon used? <laughs> I doubt, seriously, that's the reason it was done. Um, if they went to enough effort that they didn't leave any prints there, there's no blood anywhere else. There's not immaculate. Immaculate. But I'm saying even in the garage where at least the secondary crime occurred, right? No, no boat was found with blood. Um, there was no rope left anywhere cut in two. There's no other cinder blocks anybody found. If they could go to that level, they ain't worried about a bullet. Their, their prints ain't going to be on it anyway. What are we thinking? Is it money? Is it gambling? Is it, what is it? If it was money, the Rolexes would have been taken. The jewelry would have been taken. There were things in that house worth thousands and thousands of dollars that you could put in your pocket. Four Rolexes would do it. They didn't take anything. Family? Nothing. Well, the family was interviewed. They were polygraphed. So, again, you go back. To me, again, the beheading is horrific. But Shirley was treated very differently. They took more time with her. Shoot somebody in the face, split second. Cut somebody's head off, don't take no time. An unexperienced killer, if you believe that O.J. Simpson is guilty, O.J. Simpson cut her head off. I mean, the only thing left was a ligament, I think. The only thing anyone could be sure of was there were no clear answers in this case. 
but with the uneasiness felt in the community, everyone was beginning to develop their own theory of what happened to the Dermans. Next time on CSI Atlanta. So this is where it kind of takes this turn because here he's beheaded in the garage. She's beat to death and thrown in the lake, weighted down with cement blocks. So all these people started saying, it's got to be a mob hit. It's a mob hit. And that's all they could do. That's all they could talk about for however long. Until then, subscribe to CSI Atlanta, the podcast, and check out our full stories on CBS46.com. CSI Atlanta is brought to you by CBS46, WGCL in Atlanta, Georgia. This podcast is hosted by me, Karen Greer, and CBS46 crime scene investigator extraordinaire, Cheryl Mac McCollum. This episode was produced by Rhiannon Youngbauer and Natasha Lee. Sound design by Ray Merriman.